Hello and welcome, everybody. I am Rachel. I'm Peter. And, and this, this is, is All, All for, for Animals. animals. <laughs> and thank you for joining us again for another episode. Um, this episode is a little bit more serious, I think would be a good yes. adjective. Um, and I think it's a good opportunity for us to bring light um, to another impact of the global COVID-19 pandemic that maybe got overlooked a little bit. I mean, COVID yes. affected every piece of how we live as a globe. Um, and as a globe. Animals. <laughs> as a globe. As a global society. Not even as a nation. As <laughs> at, Yes, exactly. As a global society. Um, and of course, that does include animals, um, both in the, um, the farming and ag industry, as well as the pet industry. And I think that's kind of what we're going to be discussing yeah. more today is the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on our beloved yes. pets. And again, Rachel did so much due diligence and very, very oh, good research <laughs> um, in bringing you guys this episode. So I'm going to pass the mic down to Rachel and have her take over. So Rachel, carry on. I am ready. Okay, so I'm going to really try to stay <laughs> nice and diplomatic about this one. But I've had a recently, let's let's call it aggravating and just kind of sucky experience that's got me a little extra hot under the collar when it comes to this topic. So I might, I might rant sure. a little bit. Bear with me. It's important. So during the pandemic shutdown, everybody was really struggling with all of the isolation, loneliness, and how shall we say, maybe an overabundance of free time. So a lot of people... And boredom. Yes, tons of boredom. Out the wazoo. Right. And a lot yes. of people turned to animals to help them through it. And while those animals were definitely an immense help to their humans, those of us who work with those, those critters have noticed some pretty glaring issues that are making it difficult for us to work with them safely and effectively now that people are going back to work. Right, right. So studies have shown increasingly that over the the pandemic time period, the pet population had an absolute boom. Every household that already had pets pretty much acquired new pets and even plenty of households that hadn't even ever owned pets took in new ones and have since even acquired more. So in addition to that, there's also been a lot more inexperienced pet owners that have decided to jump headfirst into breeding operations and not quite understanding yes. the negative effects that they are bringing about in doing so it's very overlooked matter of fact oh yeah um, backyard breeding was at an all-time high during the biggest shutdowns yeah. in america at least and this is all due to the fact that everyone knows the market was fluctuating and that more people were adopting out animals and that it was kind of an opportunity for some of these backyard breeders to maybe make a quick buck and additionally, um, I think that some people look at raising litters as kind of, oh, a little project experiment, something to do. Um, and unfortunately... They look at it as like an easy money operation. Right, right. Or just yeah. something to do. Um, and that's not what breeding mm -hmm. should be about. Um, and, you know, you think about all the animals that were removed from shelters that were adopted. And while that sounds great... Uh, a lot of these animals are going to last longer than the pandemic, meaning they're just going to fill up 
Um, and furthermore, we are overbreeding mm-hmm. backyard bred animals at this point to where that's even going to further fuel yep. rescue intake. Um, the rescue I work with saw a spike um, in poodle mixes. Well, and even just owner surrenders, period. As soon as people started going back to work. Yes, since people are getting back to work. They started recognizing that their dogs were completely unsocialized and incapable of being left alone. Their dogs were becoming destructive, problematic in all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. And the owner surrenders at shelters just went through the roof at the same time as, you know, massive layoffs and budget cuts and whatnot that made it so that shelters had even fewer resources than they had at the beginning of the pandemic. So it's really just been the perfect storm. Well, and and people in general, too. Oh, yeah. You know, you're talking, you're breeding poodle mixes. Well, that's a dog that has pretty intense and expensive grooming needs. Yep. Well, if you're getting laid off, well, you just bought a a poodle mix puppy, you're not going to have the funds now. You may have the time to maintain the animal, but you're not going to have the funds to get it into the groomer, Mm -hmm. which it makes me and Rachel's job a lot harder. You know, I mean, I can look at some of these dogs and ask, is this a COVID dog? Yep. And typically what you're you're talking about are characteristics like not being very socialized, younger animals that were got, you know, purchased in the last few years, poodle mixes. Mm-hmm. It's been It's been kind of a doozy for us. It's really hard to work with an animal that hasn't, has met maybe 10 people and it's two years, you know. Yes. Um, how do you even work with that? You don't. You can't. And that's the thing is people are way underestimating the amount of risk that literally every single pet professional takes on every single day just by doing their job. Right. And that's what keeps getting more and more frustrating for those of us who are working with animals. Well, and it hits you and me a lot harder Mm -hmm. because we work independently. Oh, yeah. We don't have other people to help. Exactly. So then it becomes an even bigger safety issue when we're working with, you know, unsocialized animals. We don't even have the luxury of, hey, hold this dog's face while I trim its nails so I don't get bit. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to talk about some of the, I guess I'm going to call them hard truths for pet owners. Some of the things that your vet, your groomer, your trainer desperately wants to be able to tell you in as plain English as possible. But in order to not offend, we have to really, really sugarcoat it or skip it altogether for some clients. And I know, Peter, you and I have both struggled with this. Oh, yes. Is that that perfect mixture of education and trying to be, you know, a, a good resource for these people. And then also just recognizing that sometimes it's like talking to a wall and it's not going to get well, anywhere constructive. Right. And I mean, I was, like I said, I was at, okay, so I was at my vet yesterday with the cats getting our annuals in. Um, I had worked at this clinic, but it's the first animal related job I got. Bless their hearts. They hired me. I was an idiot. I was not the best employee. I didn't know what I was doing. I learned and grew and got better and am growing every day. We had the conversation about the um, COVID puppies and kind of, we work in an industry where they can't talk. The animals can't talk. We have to be their voice. Yeah. Um, And as much as we don't want to, as my vet put it verbatim, sometimes you have to be an asshole. And we don't like to, and we don't yep. want to be, and that's never the first approach. I always take a gentle approach when I'm trying to offer up care ideas. And you, what what people need to understand is even when we get to the point where we're at our wet wits end and we're just coming off as rude or assholey, 
Mm-hmm. It is because we have the best interest of your animal and animals in general. We wouldn't we wouldn't stress ourselves out like this if we didn't give a shit. Exactly. So exactly, and that's where there seems to be this massive disconnect between pet professionals and pet owners, especially, I mean, obviously there's always going to be that problem in any industry, no matter what, but it seems like it has just grown by leaps and bounds since the pandemic, especially where people are just kind of, there's this growing mistrust between the owners and the the professionals and everything. And and nobody wants to think about the fact that we, as the, the pet professionals who have, you know, we've gone through years of training and pe- preparation to learn how to properly advocate for these creatures that are in yes. our care. It's literally our job to do this. And then we are constantly villainized by the public and you know, like vets are constantly talking about, or I'm sorry, people after going to the vet, like clients talking about how their vet is wringing them dry and the the grooming is so expensive. And how can you justify having to spend that much money on animals? And clearly you guys are just trying to line your pockets. You're just in it for the money and stuff like that. And it could not be further from the truth. I heard that constantly. The most I ever made as a vet tech was $14 an hour. Yeah. Do you want to see my paycheck? <laughs> um, and I, I also get, I, vets really get it hard. I mean, the reason they have to, we don't work for free. No. I always tell people, would you work for free? No. I love animals. Here's the bottom line. If I wanted to make six figures a year and just have a job, I would have gotten a business degree. Sure. Right? Yeah. I'm here to make money at my grooming business. Okay. But there is this balance of I want to do something fulfilling that I have passion for, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to go into the poor house yes. giving out free services. And you cannot ask your vet. You can't ask your lawyer. You can't ask your doctor. You can't ask. Everyone has their bills to pay. So the biggest problem that I feel like I struggle with on like a constant day-to-day basis is people's I want to say kind of complacency when it comes to their their pets issues. You know, we have that discussion. Hey, your dog did great for XYZ. But as soon as we tried to do the nails, he lost his mind and tried Mm -hmm. to eat my face. So as soon as your pet professional is coming to you and talking to you about this particular issue, it should be a, a conversation where we try to figure out a solution. We work around it and and we make progress. But it feels like more and more often, the general public, and of course, I'm generalizing here because it's not everybody, but it's a constant problem and it's way more pervasive than it Mm -hmm. used to be, where it's not ever a, oh, okay, this is a problem. We're going to work on it together and make it better. It becomes, how could you say such a horrible thing about my pet? And the conversation just kind of stops there. Do you have that problem, Peter? I do. Okay. Which is... Now, I will say there's a huge piece of silver lining here. I would say more than half the time I describe the issue with the client's dog and tell them how they need to work on it, and they do. Um, I get a Mm -hmm. lot of clients. My biggest thing is I tell my clients to brush, and they just let it roll off their back. Uh, And I don't have patience for that anymore. You don't want to brush your dog. You don't pick the haircut, bottom line. Mm -hmm. And in that, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and speak like a broken record. I've told you a dozen times, you have an intense coat. We have you on a schedule. Great. We still need to get your dog brushed. I 
I, I, if you don't do what you need to do to ensure that your dog's coat is being kept for me to do what you want me to do, you're not going to get what you want. You're just not. Absolutely. That's the complacency that I'm talking about is all of these people, they're told over and over and over again, the bare minimum you got to do for your dog, brush out their coat so they're not matted to the skin keep them on a regular schedule and get their nails done so that they're not destroying their bone structure in their feet. Right. And and things like that. Just make that make it so that it is possible for people to work with your dog. Because well, then there's also these dogs who have no socialization whatsoever. Right. And they're like submissive peeing every time you look at them. You right. can't touch them without them screaming no, and, and trying those are to the bite dogs you. I don't even try to work with any longer. I will if I see the owner mm-hmm. gives me the respect of, of trying, right? You know, yeah. for example, if I have ner- I have nervous dogs. I've had nervous dogs before where it's like, you know, they they are kind of overlooked in the house. It's more like a just a dog situation where the only time they go mm-hmm. in a car is when they're going to the groomer or the vet. And so I had recommended to this this client, well, one, you need to get your dog acclimated to a harness. Yeah. If you're, the only time you're putting a harness on your dog mm-hmm. is when she sees me. We're creating a really, really bad experience. Second, if every time your dog gets in my vehicle, yeah. my grooming unit, it's nervous because it thinks it's getting groomed or it's going to the vet, you need to take your dog to go get a fucking pup cup from Starbucks or something every so often. Yeah. And I came back. They didn't work on the animal at all. I said, I'm going to trim their nails today and I'm not the groomer for you. Absolutely. If you are not going to listen to me, and I feel like a lot of people like to dumb it down for grooming because it's seen yeah. as cosmetic, and it's not, I'm not going to give you my time of day. A lot of the times my mm-hmm. people that won't brush, they're, they're either retired or they have children old enough to help, and it's just, I don't want to, or I, just pure laziness, right? And it's like- Yeah, there's no excuse. Well, we don't have the time. Well, then you shouldn't have got a fucking dog. You know what I mean? Thank you, because that was my next point. The The world as a whole seems to have forgotten that pets are, and I'm saying it real loud for the people in the back, pets are a privilege, not a right. And if you are not willing to make sacrifices in your own comfort and budget and time for that pet, you are not entitled to it. Right. Simply wanting a dog does not make it okay for you to bring this animal that is going to require some form of maintenance, whether it be grooming, training, vet visits, food, all of the care that any animal, any living thing is going to require, then you're, it's, it's not a right. You have to be willing to give it the things that it needs to survive. And in addition to that, having these pets that are so completely unsocialized and incapable of being around those pet professionals who are forced to mm. you know work with them right it's dangerous right. it has to stop because it's not only dangerous for your groomer your vet it is dangerous for you your children any other animals in your home any people that come to visit anything right. A scared dog is an extraordinarily dangerous dog. All it takes is one time. And kind of chasing back to, Mm -hmm. I think this really applies to the pandemic puppy situation. I've been saying this since I was a little kid. Wanting and owning are two different things. I have a lot of animals. Absolutely. People say I have way too many animals. I disagree. My animals are very well cared for, in my opinion. They are all properly vetted. They all have proper diet. I knew what I was getting myself into. Owning this many animals, I knew it was going to be expensive. If I hear all the time, well, I I just, I don't get my dog room very often because I can't afford it. That means you can't afford the dog. That's what that means. There are 
tips yeah. and tricks and things you can do to kind of work around the budgeting, but there's no such thing as a free animal. Of course. I hear all the time my yep. hedgehog prices are too expensive and that they should be, hedgehogs should be 50 to $60. Well, one, I'd lose way too much fucking money breeding these, breeding the hedgehogs. Yeah. Two, <laughs> why do you think that fish and hamsters and fancy mice are, are treated like such disposable creatures because they're marketed as this tw- this this $15 disposable animal you put up in a little tiny cage in your kid's room. If it dies, you go back to the pet store the next week and you get another one. Yeah, because they're being sold that way. That's how they're marketed. Right, right. I don't want my animals marketed that way. You're, the reason you're paying $300 for your hedgehog is because you should be concerned about getting a good animal. The the well-bred animals I get into my program to create these animals are not cheap for me. It's quality over quantity. <laughs> yes. And I offer lifetime breeder support. I offer lifetime health guarantees. I offer one-year health mm-hmm. well wellness guarantees. I, I go I go above and beyond. Well, I guess I shouldn't even say that. I breed how you should breed, in my opinion. Oh yeah. You absolutely do. And and in this um, you know, I tell people, everyone wants a Frenchie nowadays. There, Everyone wants a Frenchie. And I tell people, if you want a Frenchie, great. Get yourself a Frenchie. But just know, those dogs are money pits. They are expensive. If you want one. And same with the doodles. Be prepared to spend the money. Yeah. Right. Same with the doodles. Same with my Persians. Okay, I tell people right off the bat, anything purebred is going to have breed-specific illness. Right? And anytime I produce a long hair exotic it needs to be brushed every 12 hours so i look for that in the home and furthermore we have options like care credit you can get yourself a credit card you can put money away but when something goes wrong and your animal needs a two thousand dollar surgery you can't go screaming and bitching down your vet's throat that they won't do it for free because of your lack of responsibility to apply for care credit i knew what i was getting into with all these animals I have money set aside, rainy day funds yep. for emergency visits. Well, and that's funny because Braden and I, my, my husband Braden and I were talking yesterday after our trip to the vet for just Magic Miyagi and my cat Ducky. So only three animals. Um, and it it was very, very expensive. It always is. But that's kind of the whole point is it is literally your job when you sign on to bring home that that creature that completely is 100,000% 100, dependent upon you to take care of it, that's your job. And the expense of it doesn't change that. It doesn't make it any less true that this dog cannot go down to the street or down the street and, and buy its food on its own at the pet store. This right. dog cannot right. walk itself to the doctor's office. This dog cannot provide for itself. So if you have agreed to take it on, you are taking on the responsibility for any health problem it's going to have because every animal is going to get sick at some point. It's a living thing. It happens. Every animal's going to get hurt. You're taking financially responsibility for every animal you bring into your home. It's that simple. And in addition to that, the biggest problem that I'm having with people is... Not only the financial responsibility, which is it can be a touchy subject, especially because during the pandemic, people also struggled financially and they still are. The the whole world is struggling to bounce back. Right. However, 
it's still there's still this pervasive issue that oh well even if i can't afford a pet i should be entitled to have one and unfortunately that's the hard truth is that you just aren't yeah you aren't entitled to it because you have to be able to provide for that that creature because they can't do it for themselves but in addition to that financial responsibility right is the behavioral responsibility Mm -hmm. we just have this influx of people who tend to think that it's the groomer's job the vet's job the trainer's job whatever to teach their dog how to behave when being groomed examined by the vet put on a leash whatever the case may be and it's just we cannot we as pet professionals simply cannot be held responsible for these things right because of the fact that we have such limited time with your pets right we see your dog for this you know one hour window every month like at most and that's generous i see your dog 12 hours a year let me say that i see your dog 12 hours a year so how much work can i get done in 12 hours a year exactly we cannot have enough enough contact time with your pet to be responsible for teaching them how to just be handled. Right, right. You know, you have to teach their dog that it does not mean the end of the world if somebody is holding their paw. Right. You have to teach your dog that being brushed is not a dangerous act. You have to teach your dog that it's okay to be restrained for a moment for a vaccine. All of these things are just part of caring for a dog. They don't come pre-programmed. And I think that's kind of... Exactly! I think that's what really got lost in these pandemic puppies is it's rescuing doesn't stop. It's not like the animal's been successfully rescued the day you pull it from the shelter. Yes. Now you have to work with this animal for the rest of its life. You know, I've, I've worked with and rescue. that doesn't even just apply to rescue animals. Both of my dogs, they are purebred dogs. They did not come from a rescue. They both have right. plenty of behavioral right. issues that have cropped up over the years. And it is always my job to nip right. that shit in right. the bud. Always. Well, and I think that um, I think that there's this connotation that kind of cre- was created with the pandemic puppies, which is, well, I'm saving a life. And that's great and all, but, you know, you, it doesn't stop when you bring the animal. It doesn't now stop Now you're there. working with this yeah. animal to, to, till the end. Um, you know, I get a lot of people that mm-hmm. they rescue, they get rescue dogs with these expectations. You know, I had a lady one time. And I said, I can't bathe your dog. Your dog hates getting bathed. Well, the dog was four years old and never been bathed before. And she said, well, we rescued yep. the dog from a really bad situation. Da, 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 da. And I said, well, y- your dog trusts you and you only. You're going to have to be responsible for bathing this dog. And she didn't want to. She said, well, that's why I'm paying you. That's why you're here. Yep. No, 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 no. You rescued the dog. Your dog wants, will, will, will not trust me. Your dog doesn't like men. Your dog likes yeah. you. This was part of the sacrifice you made when you brought home a dog that that you are going to have to bend your back yeah. and, and wash your dog every couple months because of its feelings yep. and its boundaries. That is that's a great example. And of- if you aren't OK with it being on your shoulders, then your job is to work on that, like counter conditioning, the desensitization. Right. You have to work on preparing your dog for being handled by another person it's either your dog is capable of being handled by another person and it's great and you can hire that groomer or you have to do it by yourself because your dog is only trusting you or you have to work with somebody who can help you desensitize your dog 
in order for it to be able to get done, but just not doing it or just forcing someone else to work with your dog when they just can't is never the option. It isn't our job as the pet professional who, like you said, we see your dog maybe 12 hours a year. And those are my four week clients, that's, by the way. <laughs> that I yeah, see. that's never going to be enough time. For us to be able to take on that kind of responsibility right. for your animal's behavior, right. their peccadillos, whatever. And like when I got each of my dogs, I was not prepared for the fact that they are both male dogs. Male dogs typically do not have a lot of UTIs, but oh boy, do both of my dogs have UTIs all the sure. flipping time. It's been that way since they were puppies. There's something, I guess, fundamentally wrong with their kidneys or bladders or something. They've had all kinds of testing out the wazoo their entire lives. And it's just a persistent problem. They're on prescription food. It costs me 80 bucks a month just for their food. They're on all kinds of supplements. And anytime I notice the signs that there might be a UTI in the works, we are right at the vet's office the very next day. Well, and also like that. And that's my job as their owner. Right. That later in life stuff gets expensive. I mean, there are expenses you don't think about. For, oh, yeah. Okay, so on the topic of UTIs, one of my boys, Cisco, he was he was fixed at a shelter very, very young. Typically, you know, this mm-hmm. is done, obviously, because there is a just a detrimental cat crisis in this country. And sure. the, the high turnover yes, and everything. The other side of the coin is because his anatomy didn't really, you know, hit structural maturity before being castrated. I knew bringing him mm-hmm. into my home... Probably later in life, I'm going to be spending a fortune on blocking and other um, urinary GI and penile issues. And I knew that. Yeah. Um, uh, something that I didn't encounter when I brought Esmeralda, my sweet girl, into my house is she does not squat. <laughs> she does not squat when she goes potty. So she will miss. Oh. She, so for years, I had battled cleaning up pee all the time. And it's not that it's not a behavioral thing. She doesn't mean to. She just doesn't squat. And so I had to reinvest in these really, really expensive, really, really high-sided litter boxes and lay pee Mm -hmm. pads underneath them just in case she misses that, you know, she lines up well with the entry hole. And I see a lot of people when their cats go potty outside the box two or three times, they just dump them off at a shelter. It's not that simple. We need to figure out Mm -hmm. why the animal is doing this and accommodate it. And I think that's why I get really, really frustrated with people that they get the animals and then they don't meet their expectations and they're forfeited. You know, part of my life is working around my animals. Oh, yeah. And obviously I'm on steroids. I've got (laughs) 25 animals in my house. I chose this life. I know the sacrifices I am making for this. But even if you have one dog in your house... You know, and there's a couple behavioral issues getting on. And it may not be the most convenient thing. It's but if you love the animal no. and interested in working with them enough, you're going to sacrifice the convenience for, you know, what you need to do for your animal. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that, that enough of that is getting done with these pandemic puppies. It's just, well, I got it out of a shelter. Now let's just let it run amok in my house and run amok with my groomer and run amok yeah. at the vet and no absolutely your dog is a dog i think there's also this mentality we need to treat animals like people they are yeah. they are animals they have a completely different be... um behavioral structure than people but the problem is just you know that constant refusal to take on any of that responsibility and or that it's mean yeah well disciplining my dogs mean no everyone needs to know the boundaries or they cannot function in the world that's just how it is practice manners yeah and and dogs cats all that good stuff included now obviously cats have more independence like 
I, my cats get on the counter. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, but they are all trained to eat in their kennels and they, you know, they mind their manners where they can. Yeah. Um, but dogs, especially dogs need the guidance. And I think that like what you said, where, you know, they're these animals, they don't come pre-programmed and they don't, you can't, they can't come with a long list of expectations. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why these, these poodle mix, this poodle mix problem is just so awry because these people are looking for a non-shedding dog that's hypoallergenic. They're looking for low maintenance and they're not being sold it. They're looking for mo- yeah. low maintenance and anything mixed with a poodle is not going to be low maintenance. It needs to be at a groomer at least every three to six weeks. And, you know, they have intense brushing needs. I hear all the time, well, my dog doesn't like getting brushed. Okay, well, whose yeah. fault is that? It's not the fucking it's, dog. Yeah, your your dog doesn't like it too bad. They need You needed to, be to brush your dog to. when it was a puppy and if your dog fought it, to, exactly. If your dog fought it, well, too bad. You need to condition them to learn. And, yeah. They are the animal. They are in your home. They need to be respectful. You know, I hear people say, well, my, I, I don't discipline my animal because it's like my kid. Uh, if I were a parent, I'd be disciplining Yeah, discipline does not mean beating the shit out of your dog. It simply means... No, discipline's a good Yeah, thing. it means training your dog the good pr- behaviors, the things that you want to see. And it means showing your dog... That even something unpleasant, like having their feet touched, is not the end of the world and it's going to have to happen. Right. It means not giving up and right. just throwing your hands in the air when they, you know, express a little dislike of something. I mean, I know I've talked about it before. Both of my dogs, they get their teeth brushed every single day. They get their uh, nails clipped mm-hmm. every week and they don't like it. And it's okay that they don't like it. They're still going to tolerate right. it. It's it's my job to make sure that they tolerate those things because them not liking having and then they understand brushed. okay this is uncomfortable this is weird but it's not going to exactly kill me. them not liking their teeth brushed is not going to keep their teeth from rotting out of their skull if i don't brush them them not liking right. having their, right. their nails clipped is not going to keep their nails from growing to the point where it changes the bone structure in their feet and causes them physical pain and they're growing into their paw pads yeah right and that's what I tell what what we just stated is what I tell all of my nail trim clients. I, you know, if, if you don't want to be on a four week schedule, I am not the groomer for you because I'm not just going to hold your dog down and traumatize it every three months because you don't want it worked with. I see people all the time like that third or fourth appointment and their dog's still not getting yeah. better. Like their dog's Because they're not doing the work like, well, at I just, I don't know. Maybe we need, maybe we need to give it some trazodone or maybe we just need to have it put under for its nails. I say, no, 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 no. Let me continue to work with your animal. And I tell you, sometimes it takes a while. I got this one dog specifically in my mm-hmm. head. Oh, my God. Our first nail trim was a fucking shit show. I don't even think I got the oh. nail trim done. And now I could do her latch key. The client's not home. No drugs. No muscle. Yeah. Um, I have plenty of dogs that have learned, all right, this guy's going to do some weird shit with my feet. It's going to be uncomfortable. And then it's exactly. over with. And then I go in the house. And then... It's not a fun it's, process. It's, it's not that big the of a deal. The socialization and the training no. of that, it's not a fun process. Which is why I think so many people fall off on the, the discipline of following through with it. But that's the whole point is right. you are signing up for that inconvenience. You are signing up for this living creature who's going to have its own wants, needs, preferences issues and whatnot you're saying i'm signing up for whatever it is you're going to throw at me and we're going to walk through it together so if your dog doesn't like having their nails done okay that's all right 
he doesn't have to like it, but you as their owner have to figure out a way to at least be able to get it done. To tolerate yeah. it and get it finished. So you work with exactly. the pro- professionals in your life that are telling you how to do it. You follow their directions right. and you keep making yes, progress. Not... You don't just give up. Right. I don't I don't te- I don't say what I say when it comes to talking about how to desensitize your pet for no reason. I have the best interest for you and your yeah, pet. We don't want to just hear ourselves talk. I'm trying to make your life exactly. easier <laughs> and cheaper. Thanks. Now, I will say, you know, obviously this is kind of a more controversial topic, right? Um, I think that the people that get it are the ones that are still tuned in right here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we didn't lose a lot of people. Um, this is coming from a place of under- understanding our frustration. Absolutely. Uh, and that we, we, we're here because we give a damn. And it's really frustrating to get shrugged off, especially when that just means the animal's going to suffer. I'm going to glom onto your disclaimer here for a second. Just making sure that everybody understands. No one is saying that reactive or fearful, unsocialized dogs are bad or that your dog needs to be like perfectly behaved or else you're a terrible dog owner. No, they all have vices. Every single animal out there is going to have their own limitations and setbacks and issues. Right. And the disconnect is just the lack of taking any kind of responsibility. Right. So as that dog owner, it is your job to take responsibility for your pup's behavior. And Mm -hmm. that means things like if you know your dog has a bite history, you have to fucking disclose it. Mm -hmm. If your dog is great for the vet but hates the groomer, they need to know that. And you do need to work with that with your pet and the pet professionals, the team of people who are you know, going to be having to work with your animal for their their life. You need to work with them to re-socialize your pet, to re-familiarize them with these types of interactions and improve their your pet's right. reactions to them. And we see so many, way too many owners who just refuse to work on any of these issues and then also like to hide them, which puts anyone who has to work with your animals at a serious risk. I just... Right had a very scary bite incident at one of my walk-up nail clinic days. And it has literally made me decide I can no longer provide that service to my community because it is putting me at too much of a risk. And people, the pet owners that, yeah, the pet owners that I have to enforce these rules with, things like making sure that they bring me their dog's rabies paperwork, making sure that they tell me if their dog has any kind of bite history, things like that, they think I'm being overly dramatic or I'm taking myself too seriously when it's it's just a nail trim. It'll take five minutes. Yes, for most dogs, I can be in and out, done very quickly, no trauma, everybody's good in less than five minutes. But I don't know which one of those dogs you are bringing to me unless I can trust everybody to tell me if their dog has a bite history. All it takes is one. Yeah. And then furthermore, I was always told in vet med, Never trust the owner when they say the dog doesn't bite. And here's why we do this. I always have, you know, I tell my clients, you need to pass me your dog button first. The reason Mm -hmm. I do this is because all it takes is one person to lie to me about their dog's bite history for me to say, well, what's keeping this owner from? And it sucks because it shouldn't be that way. It should just be about honesty. It can end our career. And people don't grasp that concept. I got so lucky at my nail trim day. When I I noticed that the dog was lunging for my face at the last second and I started to back up and I, I leaned way back. So when his teeth made contact with my face, he got my te- my uh, my cheek and my jaw instead of my eye and my forehead. 
if I hadn't noticed right. that, we could have been having a completely different conversation. I could have lost an eye. And thankfully, right. because I make sure that everybody has, at the very minimum, their rabies paperwork, we didn't have to worry about doing that kind of quarantine or anything. But I could have very well lost my entire livelihood that day. And people are not taking that seriously when we inform them that we, as pet professionals, we are not obligated to work with your problem dog. We want to help you with your your dog that has some kind of issue. Peter and I both have made that kind of our our passion that we work with those right. dogs that just can't handle the usual salon environment and everything. Right. That's what we cater but to. But you have to be honest with us. You have to take responsibility for the the behaviors that your dog is exhibiting and you have to pitch in too because we don't have enough time with your dog to alter all I of their behaviors. I think so. I think the best way to put this is we're not shitting on dogs, right? Every no, dog has their never. I hear all the time when the client's dog barks at me, oh, I'm so sorry. It's like, like, like your dog's going to fucking bark at me. Like, it's yeah, cool. It's like, I got, I, this is, every dog has their vices. I know that I'm going to have some stressful situations. It has nothing to do with the dog itself. What we are frustrated with is that lack of wanting to work and that lack of honesty. It has nothing to do with the dog. I don't care if your dog's a little shit, okay? Yep. If you're sitting there working with your dog, being honest with me, being candid, trying to get better. I'll work with you and your dog. Exactly. I get your dog. And, and a lot of it, it's it's through no fault of the dog itself. It's either, it was, you know, um, especially rescues, if they weren't treated properly or socialized yeah. properly, that's human error. Or if they weren't bred correctly. It's always the humans in their lives that have given them some kind of fear. The, to dumb it down and, and to simplify it as much as possible, yeah. it's a matter of willingness to work with your animal or not. We know we're going to get a variety of dogs. I get biters. I get aggressive dogs. I get nervous dogs. That's just part of being a groomer. Mm -hmm. But the frustration comes when we see these issues and we tell the owner and the owner doesn't care to work on them. And I have no wick for it anymore. See, I've even had people laugh at me when I told them that their dog bit me. Like their dog drew blood and the people laughed. It is a very serious thing. It's not funny. Yeah. If you have a, a dog that poses a threat to people like that, and if you are the type of person that thinks it's acceptable to hide that kind of information, we have no obligation to work with you because we, above all, have to protect ourselves so that yeah. we can continue to make our 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 livelihood and go yeah. on if, with our if lives. If I got took out by a dog, I don't know how my bills are getting paid. Exactly. That's kind of why... A little lie to you is not reciprocated the same to us because, like I said, I've seen a lot of shit in this industry. All yep. it takes is one time. Now, I do want to switch gears and end on a positive note here. Oh, sure. And I will say, seeing the people that have no regard, no respect for wanting to work with your animal or listening to your vet or your groomer, God, I'm so blessed with my clients. <laughs> and I am so blessed with my hedgehog people. I have been so blessed to find people that are willing to work with their dog and understand yes this is expensive yes this is time consuming but i understand what you're saying i really want to stay on your schedule i love what you do that is 99.9 percent .9 of my clientele yeah i don't tolerate anything less I have found that there has to be this mutual respect and I have been very, very blessed to see such, such, you know, I get these dogs that have never been on a schedule. And as soon as I explain to them this, 
this is, you know, this isn't the way we do things. Yeah. This isn't good for your pet. And they say, well, I just simply didn't know. That was my ignorance. Absolutely. I apologize. Let's get on a schedule. And so I never have to shave down my dog and deal with their overgrown nails again. Love to hear that. And the people that don't listen, the people that don't listen to us, uh, I think that I'm even more grateful and it puts a bigger smile on my face to the ones that do. And I will say outside of, you know, this kind of COVID pandemic puppy situation, mm-hmm. I do think a lot of people do want the best for their pets and maybe they just don't know. But as soon as you are informed and you kind of just shrug it off, that's what frustrates Absolutely. us. But the other side of the coin is I have plenty of customers and clients that are more than willing to do their homework. And those are the people that kind of keep my hope and my happiness intact, I think. They're the ones we bend over backwards for. Oh, yeah. I love all my clients. I love them to death. And, you know, furthermore, they they get to see the process and how it works. And, you know, I I think that um, in the beginning, I was getting people that thought that I wanted to get them on a schedule just so I could get that reoccurring income. Mm -hmm. But it's it's they start to see, okay, no, like, wow, like my dog actually like is wagging his tail when Peter comes to the door and excited to get on the (laughs) grooming table. I've never seen this at the salons. My dog was always fearful. Yeah. This is working out well. Maybe I should go ahead and keep the animal on the schedule. And those are what that's, you know, obviously in any industry, we get the frustration and that's kind of, this is kind of a nitty gritty kind of episode that just needs to be discussed. Yeah. (laughs) But by no means do we want to put shame on anyone with a poorly behaved dog. You're working with your animal, great. Um, trying is doing. Yes. And it is a long road with some puppies. Oh, yeah. No dog is ever going to be perfect. Right, right. And we as we as pet professionals know that. And it's great to see when folks sit and work with their dogs and listen to us. Mm-hmm. And I love it when people ask questions. I It is a pet peeve of oh, yeah. mine. Pet peeve of mine. If you're a hedgehog customer and you've done this, damn it. They text me and they say, sorry to bother I have a question about this. It is never a bother. You are not bothering me. I like talking about hedgehogs. I do it every single day. I want these questions to be asked. I want you to learn. Because guess what? If this is the only alternative is not knowing. (laughs) So I think that especially with the way I talk about some of the poodle mix industry, I feel like people feel judgment. Um, And maybe I have kind of a tough love approach. But again, it's coming from a place of care and and, um, advocation, 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 great adjective there, Rachel. Um, Yeah, we say what we want to say. And even in a frustrated tone, it's because we give a fuck and we care a lot. Yeah, I'm going to close the episode by saying most dogs don't love everything and everybody and they absolutely do not have to. Every dog, though, should be able to be comfortable enough to feel safe and handle things like veterinary visits, grooming, seeing other dogs while on leashed walks or riding in the car, especially since these things will need to happen frequently throughout your dog's life. So it is always a fantastic idea to foster a a, a great relationship with your local pet professionals. Talk to them. Ask questions. It's never a bother. We want to help you. We We know that no dog is perfect. No pet is perfect. There's going to be bumps along the road. And that is literally why we chose to do the jobs that we do. We want to help you navigate 
those bumps in the road. So the best way that you can do that is just ask questions and take the advice from the experts yep. in your community because we all want to help. And I am going to be including some books, videos, and other resources in our show notes uh, to help people find any kind of resources that they need to help uh, just make the first few steps if they aren't quite sure how to work with that socialization for either a new puppy or even an older dog that didn't get the socialization they needed when they were younger. Um, and also just hammer it home that you can always talk to your local vet, groomer, trainer, any other pet professional for more personal ad personalized yes. advice for your dog specifically. Absolutely. Asking questions is how me and Rachel learned much like any other pet professional. Absolutely. We love your your pets. We want to be there to help them and you. And I know that this episode was a bit more frustrated than hopeful, but that's all. I mean, like Peter yep. said before, the reason we say these things is because we give a fuck. We want things to be better. We want there to be more of that trust and and just, I guess, knowledge between pet owners and pet professionals. We just want there to be that respect. Yeah, just and... get everybody on the same page. That's all we want. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. Um, yeah, and if you guys have a specific pet care question, um, especially revolving around grooming or in my department breeding, you know, feel free to ask a question. Um, by shooting us an email. Absolutely. Till next time, pet people. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week.